You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Let's turn to Acts 23. As you listened to Tom last week, he did 24. We're going back because uh, I was not able to be here. It took two years, but we got COVID. So... <laughs> So, hopefully, that's the end of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, Paul writes this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I think there's many times we enter into a passage of Scripture and we wonder why are we studying this, or why is that even in the Bible? Here's the answer. Everything that is in the Scripture is there for a reason. And all Scripture is useful. In order for us to grow, we have to get into the Scripture. When I was in college, they still used books. There were no computers. So they... When I took, that I said they gave us, had to buy the book. You bought books in college back then. You took the book, and when you were given a reading assignment, I would take that book and get out pens and highlighters, and I would highlight things in that book that I was told that would be on the test. Of course, they didn't tell you everything that would be on the test. So he tried to figure that out, and I'd write in the margin of the books and, and do all that. And then someone else would get to benefit from that when I took the book and sold it back to the secondhand bookstore for, for a third of what I paid for it. But the point is, I did that because I, it was necessary. That's how I learned, and, and besides listening to the professor that usually bored me to tears, but that was important emphasis to me. And I do the same thing with my Bible. And I think it's important that when we read Scripture that we go about it with the aspect and the intent that I'm doing, that I'm reading this to learn. I'm getting into God's Word to learn. I'm not going to read it like it's a novel. I read it as it is something that leads me through life. And in saying that, we're in chapter 23, it'd be easy to say that. Easy to skip over it and say, that doesn't have anything to do with me. But I'm going to show you that it does this morning. All of us have stories about events in our lives that we thought were normal or very natural But as you look back on those events, that story in your life, you can look and see there's certain things that happened that really shouldn't have happened. But it happened in my benefit. That's called providence. That's called God's providence. What is providence? Providence is different than the miraculous. From miracles. When God works miraculously, He intervenes in the natural world and natural law. An example was Peter walking on water. 
That's a miracle. And there are quite a few, few miracles we you could talk about it in reference to this, but it's something that just can happen by nature. But providence is different. Things begin happen naturally, and people do natural things. But God is moving, and behind the scenes, God is imposing his will into natural events. His will is imposed to natural events. And often we pray for miracles to happen, but we need to be on the lookout for God's providence where he's moving behind the scenes. He's causing things to happen that benefit us, that are according to his will. And we often miss it because that's not what we're looking for. It's not what we're expecting. We're expecting an event or something happened that everybody sees. But God works behind the scenes for his people. And his will is going to be accomplished. And we start looking for God's providence, we'll be amazed. It, it'll just blow our minds because the providence of God is supernatural. He's moving the pieces in life to work for good. So understanding God's providence is what this chapter is about. The entire book of Esther is about God's providence. God moving behind the scenes, making things happen to benefit his children. That's the book of Esther. So here in chapter 23, we see Paul is in prison. He is in Jerusalem. He's been brought before the high council. So begin here in verse 1. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. More than anything else, it was Paul's desire to preach the gospel to his own people. He wanted to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the, his contemporaries. And he wanted them to accept it. But God's plan was, Paul, you're going to go to the Gentiles. See, it didn't fall into what Paul wanted. It was what God wanted. So now he is in prison. He's come back to Jerusalem. He wants the opportunity. He's excited about the opportunity to get before his former peers. And when he says this, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, who is the high priest, commanded that those close to Paul slap him on the mouth. Now go back to see Paul talking about addressing his contemporaries. Many scholars believe that Paul was at, had actually been a member of the Sanhedrin. So he has been gone approximately 20 years and he's addressing men that he used to sit with and make decisions with. Paul talks about how he held the, the coat of those and he was in full agreement when they stoned Stephen. But here Paul is before the group of men that he used to be a part of, but he'd been away for about 20 years. So Ananias has him slapped on the mouth or punched. In verse 3, and Paul said to him, Paul responds instantly, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. 
What kind of judge do you to break the law yourself by ordering me to be struck like that? We see the flesh of Paul. He's not perfect. God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. And those standing here, Paul said to him, dare you, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul says, I'm sorry, brothers, I, realize, I didn't realize he was the high priest. And Paul replied, the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. And that goes back to Deuteronomy. Now, Ananias, why did Paul call him a hypocrite? Why did he respond that way? Well, Paul still had fire in his belly, so to speak. And he's being hit because of the orders of a corrupt high priest. The ancient historian Josephus tells us how Ananias would take the tithes of the people for himself. He'd take a portion for himself that was supposed to go to other priests and other things in the temple, but he kept it for himself. And he was pro-Roman, so later on, in 70 AD, when the Jews revolted against Rome and the temple was destroyed, some Jewish nationalists assassinated Ananias. So Paul foretold really what was going to happen to him. God will slap you, you hypocrite. But Paul knew instantly he was wrong to respond the way he did. Here I am. That's me. That's, 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 that reminds me of myself a lot. But it, with age, it's gotten much better. Now, Paul realized in verse 6 that the members of the high council were made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. So as this, Paul recognized quickly, they weren't going to listen to the gospel. Too much too much hatred in that room for him and for Jesus. So he says in verse 6, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And instantly, instantly, he has swayed the Pharisee crowd on his side, and the Sadducees are fired up. It would be like going into Congress, the United States, and they're having a big luncheon together, and all of a sudden somebody wants to discuss guns. And instantly you have a firestorm. Well, that's what Paul did by bringing up the resurrection. So, in verse 9, there was such a great uproar that some of the teachers of the religious laws who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. I told you it was like Congress. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. And it became such a conflict, as you read in verse 10, the conflict grew more violent and the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. God's providence. God worked here. It was not time for Paul to be killed. He moves the commander 
to rescue him and take him to safety. First time in this chapter we see God's providence. We're going to see it several more times. God wove these events together. So verse 11, we see that Paul obviously was very discouraged because of the way all this went. It was his, his heart to be able to save, bring the salvation to his people. And they rejected it. But this is what happens. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, I'm going to read you a couple other versions. This is the New American Standard on verse 11. But on the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, for you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. The New King James Version. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Be encouraged. Be courageous. Be of good cheer. That's what Jesus is telling Paul. That's what Paul needed to hear. We need to hear the same message when we're discouraged, when we're down and out. You see, even the great Apostle Paul, who was still a man, needed to be encouraged. That's why we get into the Word. That's why we come together to hear God's Word taught. We all need that encouragement at different times in our lives. We need to be told, be of good cheer. See, Paul had been miraculously delivered out of a jail cell before. His chains fell off his hands and his feet, and an angel escorts him out. But now this wasn't going to happen because this wasn't the plan. The plan was for him to be imprisoned. And a lot of times we demand that Jesus deliver us out of circumstances. And all that time, all he wants to do is meet us in the circumstance. He wants to meet us there many times. And we're asking for the circumstance to go away. God wants to meet us in whatever we face in the moment. Be of good cheer. When we feel overwhelmed by life's circumstances, listen we want to pray, and we should pray, but we don't listen for the answer. We don't listen for what Jesus is telling us. Jesus knows what's going on. And he still says to us, be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Why? Why does he say that? Not because everything's fine. And not because everything's going good. He says it because God is still on the throne. And he still has everything under control. And when Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. By the way he wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. As part of this story progresses. We say this. Paul held to the promise. 
And we need to hold to that promise. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's not that the circumstance is good. We misunderstand that. Well, God must have caused this to happen. All bad things are not caused by God. Circumstances happen. But what we can say of and listen, be of good cheer, be encouraged, is because those who love God win. No matter what happens in the circumstances, we who love God and are called to His purpose, we win in the end. Believe in the promise. Have hope. Have hope. And that's what Jesus was telling Paul as he appeared to him in that jail cell. Be of good cheer. It's going to work out. He didn't tell him that he would not be killed. He told him you will be my witness in Rome. Because later, see, Paul is going to be in jail here in Caesarea, as we see the story, for two years. He goes on to Rome for another two years before he'll be beheaded. But all the letters and all the work that he did while he was in Rome and in Caesarea, we benefit from. So we see here in verse 12, The next morning a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in conspiracy. And they went to the leading priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So the high council asked the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine this case more fully and we will kill him on the way. See, there were, these were a group of assassins. Forty men that were, had sworn oath not to eat or drink till they killed him. But in verse 6, we learn that Paul's nephew, the only reference to Paul's family besides he talked about he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. And Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did that and explained that Paul had asked him to bring his nephew there. And then the commander took the the boy aside, the young man, and said, what does you want to tell me? So the nephew tells him of the plan. And in verse 22, the commander tells him, don't let anyone know that you told me this. And the commander warned the young man. Think about the situation. Here comes a, a young man to the prison. He's allowed to see Paul. Tells Paul what's going on. Paul tells him to see, go back and ask for the commander. And the boy tells him this story, and he believes him. God's providence. Can you imagine someone just walking in jail, insisting on seeing the commander? That wouldn't happen. That's not procedure. But God worked these events out. This is God's providence. So what happens next, in verse 23... 
The commander called two of his officers in order to get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. So they take 270 plus another 200 to guard one man. God's providence. And then verses 25 through 30, the commander writes a letter to the governor who is named Felix. And Paul arrives in Caesarea in verse 31. And it said, the soldiers got him there. They presented Paul to the governor. And they made it without any incident. Again, God's providence. God working behind the scenes. And then in verse 34 through 35, we read that Paul is put into a palace as his prison. He was just confined to a room in a palace, not a jail. And he'll remain there for two years. God's providence. Think about things that have occurred in your life. Think about things that worked to change your life and the events that took place. And now you see God's providence. We pray for healing, and we need to pray for healing. And sometimes God chooses miraculous means, and other times it's his providence of bringing you to the best medical care that is human possible. I'm an example of that. I'm, a, I'm also an example of many cases of God's providence. Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? I came to Northwest Arkansas about a job. But it became much more than about a job. It became about, after the first 18 months of living up here, it became about this church. It became that God showed me this is what my purpose was to be. To serve this body. That's God's providence. You're brought here because of God's providence. He's watching out and looking out for you. Start looking for more cases, more events that God has changed and orchestrated for you. Behind the scenes, God is imposing his will into natural events. He's imposing his will. And we pray for things that are going on in this world right now. I need to be praying for the people who are affected by Hurricane Ian in Florida. God's people who have been affected there. We need to pray about this war that is going on in Ukraine. The threat of nuclear weapons by a madman is out there. And we pray, God, work these things out through your providence. Change. The events. That's what we pray. 
We pray for rescue for the people who have been damaged in Florida. But don't miss out on what God is doing for you. Watch out for the things that are happening and changes in your life that bring forth his will in your life. Let's pray. So I pray I ask the worship team to come up. Father God, again, we want to pray for Cynthia and her trip and pray for your blessings and that great things happen in India because of her efforts and what you're doing through her. Father, we pray for the people in Florida who have lost so much, even lives being lost. Father, we pray that they can regain a sense of normalcy soon. Father, we pray for our country where there's such division, and it's because of evil that Satan is casting about. We pray for your providence to overcome this. Father, we pray for the war that's taking place in Europe, Father, that this war ends soon, that you remove this madman and his intent on using nuclear weapons. We pray, Father, your providence works this out. But Father, help us all as individuals to look and understand and see your providence, how you take care of us and you work things out and help us always to remember that no matter what, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, we win because Jesus has paid the price and we will have eternal life with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.